It's a pleasure for Sally and I here to be here at Calvary again this morning and to have an opportunity to personally thank you for your faithful prayers and financial support these many 20 years now. It's been a long time. And it's also a privilege to be able to come and share with you some thoughts and some scripture verses that have become particularly uh, meaningful to us during these years of ministry. But first, uh, let me ask you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are truly an awesome and wonderful God that we are privileged to worship and to serve. We know what a blessing it is to be here this morning in this place that you have provided. We have come to praise you and to learn more about you through the proclamation of your holy word. We realize that only your Holy Spirit can make the words of Scripture life-changing to us. We ask, therefore, that you help us keep our minds and our hearts open to the leading of your Spirit as we give our attention to your Holy Word this morning. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to begin this morning by telling you a story about a great Persian king. Now this king was very successful in battle and he had won many battles but he always had a feeling in his heart, a sympathy for, perhaps even some affection for, the commanders of those armies that he had defeated. This king was rather gracious and um, he really took no pleasure in executing his opponents, but he knew that the people expected him to deal concisively and sharply with these people. So he devised a, a plan that helped him deal with this dilemma. And on this particular occasion, he had won another great battle, and the opposing general was brought before him, and so he offered this general a choice. He said, you can either stand before this firing squad, or you can go through that large black door over there to whatever fate awaits you on the other side. And he said, you have 24 hours to make your decision. So the next day, the general stood before the king, who asked him what he had decided. And he said he had chosen the firing squad. So a short time later, the shots rang out, and the, and the general was dead. Now this great king had a new young aide. And this was the first time the aide had seen this procedure. And so when the appropriate moment arose, he summoned the courage to ask the great king, what is on the other side of that great black door? And the king answered, on the other side of that door is freedom. And I had hoped the general would have trusted me and gone through that door because I would have been pleased to set him free. But they never choose the great black door. They always choose the firing squad. Now we, like that general, have a tendency to choose the known rather than the unknown. Even if the known is not very good, we're afraid that the unknown might be worse. 
And that's what the general had in mind, and that's what the young aide presumed was behind that black door also. So we have this tendency to choose the known because we're afraid of the unknown. And because of this, we often lose opportunities to walk on water. Remember the story of Moses. Moses was saved out of the basket in the river and grew up in the Egyptian court, became a prince, had a great life, and then he messed up a little bit, as you recall. He killed one of the taskmasters of the Hebrews. So he had to flee for his life. And he, uh, he went out into the desert, and as you recall, he found a wife who had a, who had a father, so he had a father-in-law, and he spent 40 years tending goats for his father-in-law in the desert. Now, you would think, I would think that if I'd been tending goats for my father-in-law for 40 years, I, I might be ready to do something different. <laughs> and um, so the Lord spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And he said, you know, Moses, um, my people in Egypt have been given a hard time by the Pharaoh, and I've decided it's time to do something about that. So I'm going to do something about that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you to Egypt and uh, tell Pharaoh that you're going to be leading my people out of Egypt. Now, if it was you or I, right, we would say, hey, man, this is cool. We've uh, kind of tired of what I'm doing, and this is, sounds like a great adventure. Lord, um, can't wait to get going. When do we start? Now, I think most of you know that that's not exactly what Moses said. Now, I'm going to read it. By the way, there's verses you can follow along with me. But in Exodus 3, 9 through 11, and then in Exodus 4, 10, 3, we uh, hear what really happened. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then in Exodus 4, and Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth, and who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Lord, please, send somebody else to do it. But Moses went. The Lord had to twist his arm a little bit, but he went. So how often have we said to the Lord when some opportunity has presented itself to share his good news, Lord, I'm not qualified for this. I won't be able to do it very well. There are others more qualified. Please send someone else to do it. Then there's the story of Gideon. You remember Gideon. How can we forget Gideon with all these Gideon Bibles around? But anyway, there was a time when the Midianites were harassing the Israelites. And the Lord decided it was time to bring this to an end. The Lord decided he would give Gideon the privilege of having a hand in this work that he was about to do. So we read about this from Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when, he, when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But then now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have, have and, at, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And of course, although he was reluctant, Gideon went. Now, why does the Lord send people off to do these impossible tasks? It doesn't make any sense. Well, we get some insight into that from Judges 7, verses 2 to 3, as we continue with the story of Gideon. Remember that Gideon assembled this huge army, 32,000. But then the Lord said, and we read in Judges 7, 2-3, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. And then, as you recall from the story, that wasn't the end of it. The Lord continued to test people, and when he got all done, there were only 300 men left. And the Lord did this to make sure that it was clear to them and that day and us in this day that it was the Lord who was accomplishing these things and not we. The Lord knows that we are not qualified. After all, he has created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. The Lord does not require our help but he chooses to do his great works through us. And he allows us to have a part in the work he's doing if we are willing. Consider the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths will grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The whole point is that we are totally dependent on God for every step we take and every breath we breathe. By ourselves, we can do very little. But if we are willing to trust and obey our Lord, we can walk on water. Consider the scripture that was read earlier about Peter walking on water. There's some interesting points here. The Lord sent the disciples out into the boat in the middle of the night. He certainly knew that a storm was coming, and yet he was not with them. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he sends us out alone, and we may feel for a time that he is not with us. But he was with them. He knew where they were. He had not forgotten them. After they had been tested for a short time, he went walking on them, walking to them on the water. And the disciples saw him and rested their eyes on him, and that was good. And Peter, who was also the impulsive one, as we are aware, the one with the great energy and enthusiasm, 
He focused his eyes on Jesus and recognized that it was the Lord. He checked to make sure that it was the Lord first. He said, Lord, is it you? And Jesus said, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter offered to come and join the Lord. And the Lord said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water. Now, what were Peter's qualifications to walk on water? I suggest that Peter had absolutely no qualifications to walk on water. And the only qualification that Peter had was that he was the only one of all the disciples that was willing to get out of the boat. And as a result of that, the Lord helped him to walk on water. Then Peter did something that we also have a tendency to do. He took his eyes off Jesus. Maybe he was afraid when he saw how big the waves were and how strong the wind was. But maybe also he forgot for a moment who was holding him up. Maybe he became a little proud of himself. Maybe he was doing a little, hey guys, look at me, I'm walking on water. But it wasn't Peter that was walking on water. It was Jesus that was holding him up. And when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And that's the way it is with us. We have to step out in faith, but we also have to keep our eyes on our Lord. Never forgetting that it is only through him that we can accomplish great things. But Peter put his eyes back on the Lord and asked the Lord to save him, and the Lord did so. And then he gently chided him for having lost faith for a moment. The last command that Jesus gave us, often referred to as a great commission, is recorded in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And you can look at them in your bulletin as we read together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now you're noticing your bulletin, and now there's a little blank line there. Because I want to pause a moment before reading that last verse of the great commandment. If the command had stopped there, if that was the end of it, it would have been absolutely a ridiculous command. Because I submit that no one of us can go to the uttermost parts of the earth and make disciples of all nations. When we came to Russia for the first time, our first interpreter said to me after discussion, you'll never be able to convince me of Christ's sovereignty. And of course she was right. There was no way I could convince her of anything, especially something that she didn't want to be convinced of. Nor are we called upon to lead anyone to the Lord. Not really. Sometimes you hear people say, how many people have you led to the Lord? My answer is none. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit leads those to Christ. But what we are asked to do, and what we have been given the privilege of doing, is having a part in this wonderful process. And we can be a part of some amazing processes if we are willing to get out of the boat. The most important aspect, I think, of any Christian project, if we're going to be walking with the Lord and walking with the Spirit, is to be convinced and to understand in our own mind 
that this project cannot possibly succeed, to be convinced that we cannot possibly prevail unless the Lord be with us. This is of the utmost importance. Jesus ended his last command, his great commission, with a promise. And I'll read this last verse. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the promise that he gives us. And that's the promise that Jesus implied when he told the people, Peter, get out of the boat and come on, walk on the water. Finally, let us consider what Paul said in Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Sally and I have had some amazing experience in Russia since we obeyed the Lord's command to go there. And we obeyed this command somewhat reluctantly, and that's why it's so interesting for us to read about Gideon and Moses, because we understand <laughs> where Moses was coming from. But to this day, we are in awe that the Lord has given us the privilege of seeing some of the places and some of the peoples that we have. We are still amazed that we've been blessed to be a part of all this. We have no special qualifications. Perhaps our only qualification was that we were willing to let our friends push us out of the boat some years ago. And I'm going to tell you more about what I mean by that uh, in our get-together after the worship service. It is amazing how the Lord will use us and what the Lord will allow us to be a part of if we are willing to get out of the boat. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we understand that we are greatly blessed, that by your grace you have granted us the undeserved gift of eternal life through our faith in and our obedience to your Son, Jesus Christ. We humbly accept this free gift, and we want to joyfully serve you. We know that Jesus commanded us to share this good news whenever and wherever you provide us with the opportunity to do so. We know that you want us to be a candle in the darkness that can serve as a beacon to others that you are drawing to yourself. We ask, therefore, that you grant us the courage and the faith to step out of our comfort zone and step through whatever doors that you open for us, confident in the assurance that Jesus will be with us. Amen. <laughs>